glad you're here this morning, and uh, what a beautiful day outside um, to uh, come to church and sit inside, right? <laughs> um, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, as Tim just said, uh, we had the opportunity to go to um, Hope, uh, what, is it, what is it called, Hope uh, Pregnancy Clinic, Hope Preg- Pregnancy Clinic, that's right. And uh, that was an amazing, um, an amazing evening. If you're not connected with that organization, um, you should be. Um, I believe what they said was that in, I think it was in Marion County, there were 610 uh, abortions this last year. They equated that to uh, one of the graduating classes in, um, in uh, our city and at one particular school. And just get this for a second. An entire graduating class, or it was either half or an entire graduating class, even one is too many, but think about how many faces that is that will not graduate from high school um, 17 years from this last year. Just wiped out, just wiped out. Uh, God has called us to defend uh, the defenseless and the most defenseless are um, babies. And so we get an opportunity to minister to these uh, children um, because of the um, absolute selfish desire to live life without any kind of encumbrance. It's the ultimate aim of um, self, that I could just do this on my own and not have to deal with that. And certainly there are uh, heartfelt reasons uh, that people sometimes come, uh, that they bring up that would cause them to make that type of a choice. And Hope Pregnancy uh, Clinic is incredible at counseling people through that and allowing them to see their child, um, see the heartbeat, and see um, what's going on inside of uh, their body with a, a life that is there. And so I know that there's probably some in this room right now that um, have either encouraged um, your wife or girlfriend to uh, have an abortion, uh, or those who perhaps did have an abortion just on their own. And I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. Um, Jesus cares about you. Jesus forgives you. And he deeply desires that you come to him for forgiveness and uh, repentance. And so I want to encourage you in that. We're glad that you're here if that's you. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And we'll be walking through this passage. Um, We covered just a a short section of this just last week. Um, I want to cover a little bit of it again, but then get into um, a couple of things here uh, as we're talking. Uh, Just as you're turning there, I want to ask you this. Is Christ your life? Is Christ your life? your life. You may have come in here and you say, I'm not even sure I want that at all, but I want to give you some reasons as to why you uh, actually would want that. But for those of us that have been around the church for a while and we've we've, uh, been here, um, the question is, is Christ our life? And that's the question that that we're really faced with on a regular basis. Because you may have come to church and you may have come because you you want a little bit of Jesus, or, or you, you want to get a, a God fix, or life may not be going the way that you want it to, and so you feel like, you know, I need to uh, live right for at least a little while so that I can get back on track with God, 
But here's the thing, that, that God has so much more in store for you than just simply just church attendance this morning. That God has so much more um, in store for your life than for you to waste it in worthless religion. God has so much more for you, and he wants to be your life. God wants to be everything to you. And so you could think to yourself, okay, I've, I've just got to be focused on this, and I've got to make this happen, and I've got to do this. But really, that's just another way of self-effort. And self-effort leaves you nowhere. Self-effort essentially is saying that you can do this, and you can make this happen. But the uh, cry from Scripture is telling you this, that God is the one who's done it for you. And the sooner you get that, the sooner you realize that Jesus is everything, that Christ must be your life, the sooner you get that, the sooner things are going to turn around. And I would say this, sometimes we can get it in our life, but then we go on a little bit and we forget that. And that happens all the time. That happens all the time. In fact, that's every bit of our life. But how do we get out of that? How do we get out of that, that kind of yo-yo of, you know, Christ is my life right now, but now he's not, and Christ is my life? Oh, we want to talk about that a little bit. I want to talk about what this looks like. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is, neither, or there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. And what you see in this passage is essentially a vice list. It is a, a list of vices. I'll get to the, the first part. Uh, a little bit later, but what you see in this passage is when he begins to talk about here, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he goes through several different things. What he's talking about here is he's saying that since something is true of you, since this has happened to you, and I, I just want to start off the gospel, start off with the gospel this morning. And I just want to say this, that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, like when you say, all right, I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. I'm I'm, I'm tired of trying to seek pleasure at all costs. Think about it. 
I'm tired of just trying to be all about me and about my happiness. Some of us came to church because of our happiness. And we're saying, I, I want someone to tell me how to be happy. Or my job isn't going well, and so money's not coming in, and so I'm not happy, and so I want to be happy. But what this is saying here is this, is that there's another option. There's another option. You know, our church is called Outward for a reason. And that is this, it is not about me, but it's about him doing for me what I could not do for myself so that I can go and do for others. There's this essence that comes from knowing Jesus Christ as your savior. There's something that comes out of your life which says this, I'm no longer about me. And really this vice list, or these two vice lists, are all about me. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He starts with sexual immorality. The word for sexually, or sexual immorality there is pornea. It's where we get our word pornography or porn. I just want to start the, the sermon off here right now. I forgot to do this a minute ago, but if there's young children in here, you may want to take them out. Not kill them, but take them out of the room. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, just, just, just end it. End it. Um, it's probably not a joking matter, but we'll keep going. Um, pornea. Pornography. Look at what else he says. Impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The word pornea is where we get the word for porn, as I said. It means this. It means to engage in sexual immorality of any kind, often with the implication of prostitution, as it's found in the scriptures, to engage in illicit sex, to commit fornication, the word impurity is this, the state of moral impurity, especially in relationship to sexual sin, impurity, immorality, filthiness, any type of moral corruption, especially sexual immoral corruption. Outside of marriage, this idea of impurity can be joking about sexual things that are off limits, or even inside of marriage. Uh, talking about sex, especially with um, people of the opposite sex that are not your spouse. Chat rooms on the internet. Phone sex. Discussing sexual topics. Talking about your sexual life with someone who's not your spouse. Same sex or opposite sex. Passion. The word for passion there is pathos. It's where we get our word pathogen, which would be a pathogen would be like a sickness um, causing agent. It is an inordinate affection. It's a, it's a deep, deep longing. It's an affection that's captured you. It's lust. It's to go beyond recognition 
that someone is attractive and to go beyond that to desire, desiring them. It's one thing to recognize, it's another thing to desire. It's to experience strong physical desires, particularly, particularly of a sexual nature. Evil desire, he says here, is to strongly desire to have what belongs to someone else and or to engage in an activity which is morally wrong, to covet, to lust, covetousness or greediness, a strong desire to acquire more and more material possessions or to possess more things than other people, all irrespective of need. It's interesting how all of those things are really talking about inward stuff. It's all about me and my desires. It's all about me and what I want. I see what I want and I, and I, and I want to get that right now. It's a desire for more than what you have within the context of your marriage, whether that has happened yet or whether it hasn't happened yet. It's saying, God, you're not good enough to provide for me uh, what I need. God, you're not enough, and I need more for me. I read a book uh, recently by an author by the name of Tim Chester. I want to commend it to you. It's called Closing the Window, Steps to Living a Porn free life. He says some very interesting things here. He said, not only is our culture becoming pornified, so too is the church. A recent survey found that 50% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women are addicted to porn. That means that in a church with 100 adults, 25 men and 10 women are struggling with porn. It's one in three people. Christianity Today reported one evangelical leader who was skeptical of the survey findings, so he surveyed the men in his congregation. He found that 60% had looked at porn within the last year and 25% within the last 30 days. These are staggering statistics. But it really isn't any wonder. I was watching The Tonight Show the other night, and this is probably not any different than any other night. It just goes to show you how normal it's become, but I was getting ready to preach this passage, and, and, I, and I was very conscious of the jokes that were being told, and three out of four all had to do with uh, either sex or genitalia, three out of four jokes in a row, and I, I'm sitting there thinking, how come anybody can't see this? How come I don't see this sometimes? How, how come, what, what's, what's wrong with us? What's going on? Well, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's on, in every avenue that you go down. It's in every area of life. You, 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 it's almost inescapable on some level. It used to be something that people uh, who had had an abusive past struggled with. But now it's just everywhere. And so many of us have struggled with this or are currently in a struggle or are currently in a battle. In fact, uh, John Piper, and Tim um, Chester quotes John Piper, says this, 
In fact, I'm sorry, Tim uh, Chester uh, paraphrases him. He says, many young people, argues Piper, are not getting involved in mission because they don't know how to deal with sexual failure. The tragedy is not masturbation and pornography. The tragedy, yes, I just said that word. Tra the tragedy is that Satan uses guilt from these failures to strip you of every radical dream you ever had or might have. In their place, he gives you a happy, safe, secure American life of superficial pleasures until you die in your lakeside rocking chair. See, not only is it affecting your life, not only does it affect your marriage or your future marriage, as you think, I'll, you know, I'll give this up before I get married, but that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Not, not only is it doing that, but it's, it's keeping us from ever going on mission or being on mission because there's always a sense that I've screwed this up. There's always a sense of guilt. There's always a sense of I'm not enough. There's always a sense that I, I just, I have this issue that I can't get rid of. And, and so why should I even try to serve God? And so what happens is this, is that we go further and further into whatever it is that we're involved with. We go, and because porn addiction, and some of you say, oh, I'm not addicted. Well, if there's any regularity at all to what you're involved with, you have a propensity towards addiction. And it may not be pornography, but it may be just simply flat out adultery. Jesus says, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. But it doesn't have to be that. It, 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 can, it can be just having nonchalant conversations with somebody who's not your spouse when you're at work, talking about your sex life with your wife, how you're pleased with it or, or not pleased with it, or with your husband. It goes into um, women as you long for connection with your husband and he's not emotionally available to you. And so you get into a relational affair and it may not ever go there, but in essence, it's the same thing. It's you're, you're getting involved and it's going towards that. Sexual addiction is never just staying in one spot. Adultery, sexual immorality, impurity is never just staying in one spot. It's always moving in the direction of more and more and more. There's a greediness to it, a covetousness to it. And ultimately, the Apostle Paul says, this is idolatry. And idolatry is essentially anything that we do, that we serve, that's other than God. You say, I don't see how I, how I serve that. Think about the, the amount of time that's put into wrong relationships. The amount of time that's put into staring at the computer screen. The amount of time that's put into all of those things. The time that's wasted that you could be serving Jesus or your family or the other people around you. It's no wonder that we have an epidemic in our country of people who are becoming so self-fulfilled and so self-satisfied. The selfie is merely just an indicator as to what's going on. We're obsessed with self. There's self-idolatry saying, I need to serve my needs at all costs. I'm not getting what I need out of my marriage, and so I'm going to uh, pursue other avenues for that. 
and it keeps us from being on mission and it will destroy you. It will destroy you. And it will come at a great cost. And I want to tell you that you do not want to go down that road. You do not want to end up there. Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, what's it mean to be raised with Christ? It essentially means this, that when you come to faith in Jesus, what you realize is this, is you realize, I don't have anything to offer him. The only way in is through faith and repentance. It's through saying, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is God and that when he went to the cross, he, he went to the cross in my place. Like, he died. And so what Paul's saying here is he's saying, if you've been raised with Christ, like he died and then he was risen from the grave, and if you've been raised with him, seek the things that are above. Go after the things that are, that are out there with him. Seek the things that are, that are above, outside of yourself, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so I just want to talk to everyone who knows in here that you have some type of porn addiction. Like we know that there's many of us in here that have this. We know it's not a question. And some of you, you girls are, you feel like this is such a guy issue and I struggle with this and I can't seem to fight my way out of this and I'm, I'm so ashamed. There's perhaps even more shame in what a, a woman is dealing with in this area. But what you have to see, what you have to know is this, is that God is calling you to something and it is not contingent on where you stand today. It, does, it is not contingent on what you did last night. It is not contingent. It, 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 God's not holding something from you. You've got to hear the joy of the gospel in here. It says this, hello, porn addicts. Hello, those who are involved in adultery. Hello, those who have impurity, who are greedy, who are self-focused. Everyone here has, on some level or another has some aspect of this. And he's saying, hello, let's just put that on the back burner for just a second. We'll get to it in a minute. But let's put it on the back burner for just a second. If you've been raised with Christ... And what's he trying to tell you? He's trying to say this. You've got to see that Jesus, at infinite cost to himself, went to the cross. And when he was on the cross, he was looking at you. When he was on the cross, he had you in mind. When he was on the cross, dying, bleeding out, he saw you. He saw me, not in our greatest moment, in our worst moments. 
Jesus died for that sin. And Paul is saying here, you have to get this. He was raised for you. Seek after him. Go after him. Seek after what he has for you. But sometimes it's not enough. Sometimes it's not enough, we think, because we say, how does that really even mean anything to me? I can get instant gratification right here and right now from this picture as she looks at me with longing eyes, thinking I'm this incredible stud. How, how can I look to that when the, the, the instant gratification that I get from this conversation and from this relationship and from this impurity, how can I let go of this? How can I actually do this? Seek the things that are above? How do I make Christ my life? How do I look to him and say, you're everything to me, and I can't wait to be with you in glory. You're everything to me, and you are my life. Well, the first step is this, faith and repentance. It's, first of all, saying, Christ, I do believe that you are my life. You are my life. You are my everything. To concentrate on that. To see him on the cross dying for you while you sin against him. Over and over and over again. John Piper calls it gutsy guilt. He, he says essentially this. It doesn't matter what's happened. It doesn't matter what's taken place. It doesn't matter what just what happened moments ago. In this moment, right here, right now, you have to see that Christ is your life. It's trusting Him. It's saying, you are my life. It's just like, you might say, football is my life. You might say, cars are my life. Something for girls. You might say, flowers are your life. Sugar and spice and all things nice, right? I mean, it... The, you might say, I mean, there's a lot of things that you could say are your life. But what if you could truly and legitimately say, like, Christ is my life. He went to the cross for that sin, and he nailed it there. I think I talked about this even over the last couple weeks, where it talks about how our sin was nailed to the cross, canceling the record of debt canceling our sin and we say Christ you are my life you are everything to me and we're saying this I have faith in you I'm no longer going to trust the the image and say you are my life you're providing for me self-worth you're providing for me power I'm no longer looking to the relationship and saying, I need relationship at all costs. And so you're my life. You're no longer looking to those things, but you're saying, Christ, you are my life. 
and you're going to be the one who defines who I am, and you're going to be the one who is my everything. And I want you in all aspects of this. Now, how does that take place? It takes place through repentance. You know, repentance is often talked about in a way that's negative. In past generations, and in fact in this generation, we oftentimes think, okay, if I have to repent, then that's really bad. And so what we're trying to convince ourselves of is this, is that I, I, I repented once and then I've got to try really, 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 really hard to get to the next stage of life without having to repent. But here's the thing. Martin Luther says this in the first of his 95 theses that he nailed to the door of the Wittenberg church. He essentially said, all of life is repentance. That the good Christians are not the people who just never do anything wrong because really they're just fooling themselves and thinking that somehow they don't have anything wrong with themselves. The good Christians are the people who understand that they really aren't that good. The good Christians are the people who say, I have to keep repenting. The de definition of me as a Christian is that I am a repenter. I'm consistently repenting, and I'm repenting, and I'm repenting. Within the context of our life, everything that's going on from your, your marriage or just relationships that you have, literally every single one of those relationships that have gone wrong all are hinged on one thing oftentimes, and that is repentance from at least one party who says, I was wrong. It's just, it's just one person who says, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? But the life of a Christian is one that's always repenting, who's saying with him that I deserve the wrath of God. I deserve what he has for me. I deserve this. I deserve everything and more. What's he say here? He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. And you're saying, you're saying this. You're saying, God, I realize that I deserve that. I realize that that should be coming on me. And so what we say is we, we say what's true about us. And what's true about our lives. I want you to watch a video here in just a second of a guy who very poetically talks about what was true of him and how that's turned around. Let's watch that now. Woo! <laughs> 
I once was a kid with innocent eyes and a heaven-set mind. I ate from a table serving Southern-style values cooked by stand-up examples. Back in the first grade, I only wanted to sit with the guys, and in fourth grade, girls could pass by and I wouldn't lift my eyes. But then fifth grade came and things began to change. Girls were never seen the same. And circle, circle, dot, dot, the cootie shot has worn off, and she now takes my eyes for a ride when she walks by. I excuse myself from the table and pull the chair up to the buffet, force-feeding this belly full of endless deception and artificial affection. I die on four course five star sins served fresh from the best of them i got hooked on my first taste of what was never meant to be tried wiped my mouth clean with a gold napkin and took another bite poisoned with perverted preservatives and stale stimulation i scarred my innocent eyes and heaven set mine with the taste of lust washing it down with a sip of corrupting lies i sought strength in a struggle of what was never meant to be sought with bare hands i fought images that once seen could never be forgot propelled by an unsatisfied hunger my mind floated deeper into the darkness of riptide waters, drifting uncontrollably in a splashing sea of selfish desire. Scrolling screen to screen, checking out stranger after stranger, flipping from channel to channel, losing myself in waves of misleading material that kept afloat my pride, washing these thoughts that lived to rise throughout every drowning night. This disconnected mind set butts, breasts, and thighs on stop, play, fast forward, rewind as her low-cut button-down top and those skinny jean-sealed legs walk the red carpet of this misled brain, all for a blinding snapshot of self satisfaction that led to countless seasons of spiritual subtraction. Well, I am a house built out of broken excuses on a mountaintop of rocky disgrace. I've done a heaven of a job dressing up the outside while doing one hell of a job burning down the inside. I sparked one match of reckless abandon, a white light of guilt-free gratification, but that flame grew into a wildfire of exhausting temptation, burning my passion of deadly dedication, and I am sick. I am sick of resorting to Paul's line for my crime, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate, and I do not want to do this thing I hate. I do not want to break belief for a moment of guilt-ridden release. I do not want to fall victim to games of the beast. On my back, relentless to change, I lay wrapped in sheets of shame, cuddling close to images I'd do anything to erase. Comatose from overdosing on objectifying, I fall to my knees and pray, God, I've done this. I'm the one to blame. I lit the flame. And I know it's my fault. I opened the door and invited the demons into play, and their misleading smiles and childlike games carried me away. I wrestled with directions and temptations, but continued to play. Tired of falling, of failing, we played hundreds of one last final game, but each time they blindfolded me and led me to my own grave. God, I come carrying baggage of endless burdens and bruised hands, but I'm ready to drop them. I'm ready to surrender, and I know. I know I've drilled more nails into your son's hands than this mind can comprehend, but here I am. God, I surrender. Cast out these thoughts that crucify my mind, that plague my march and stride. I'm face down on bent knees at your cross surrendering. I surrender. At your grave of grace I grieve, at your cross I surrender. I wonder if there's some of us here this morning that just need to surrender. You've surrendered long enough to everything that's been after your eyes and your affections. You've surrendered to everything that you have wanted. You've surrendered to self-love, which ultimately is an idolatry. 
And I wonder if there's people here who would say, I need, I need to come clean. I need to come clean with where I've been. I need, this needs to be out of me. The only way out is through faith and repentance. To be able to believe with the Apostle Paul that I've been raised with Christ and I want to seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and I want to be after him and I want to desire what he has for me. But you got to understand that like if you if you keep it a secret, it's just going to stay there and it's just going to fester. If you keep it inside, it's, it's, there, you can't do anything with that. It, it's it's going to send you to the grave. It shows that you don't know the saving love of Jesus Christ. It shows that Jesus isn't your life. It shows that you are your life. And your lusts are your life. And you've got to see that. You might say it's not hurting anyone, but it is hurting you. It's, it's hurting your wife or your future wife, your husband or your future husband. It's destroying you little by little. And it's going to bring you to an end that you do not want to see. And I've got to tell you this. As our church, I want to be known as people who repent often. Who just say the, the truth about where they're at. We don't need a bunch of community groups full of squeaky clean people. Because then we're just a bunch of Pharisees. We're just a bunch of people who think that we're really religious and you know it. And people outside of your life know it. That that's just not true. And so what, what, what we want to do is not celebrate that you've sinned, but we want to celebrate that God has granted you repentance to come clean about where you're at. And so I want to encourage you in this way, that if you've never come clean with anyone, you need to. Perhaps it's to your wife or your husband. It doesn't matter how big how small, you've got to come clean. You might be in a place where you're saying, I, I, I need to talk with someone about this because maybe you're not married or, or you, you don't quite have the guts to do that yet. I want to encourage you to walk with someone through this. If you're not involved in a community group, an OC group, you need to get involved in one. If you're trying to find somebody for counseling, I can send you to someone for counseling or we can counsel you ourselves here if the door to your house is not locked meaning this if you are letting things into your life you need to put controls on your life but do not think for a moment that that's going to take care of it don't think for a moment that that's that that's okay you're good and that you're righteous or or what have you that's that there's there's a little bit that that, that needs to happen but, but I want you to know that there's further steps that need to take place. But you need those controls on your life. Stop thinking that you're Superman or Superwoman. And that you can just withstand anything because you're not Jesus. 
And the expectation of the Christian community thinking that somehow that you should have it all together or that, you, that you're never broken or that you shouldn't be broken, that's just wrong. The way into Christianity is through understanding your brokenness. And the, the, way, that you, the way that you continue in the faith is through brokenness. It's not in just saying, oh, I've got this together, but it's through recognizing what's wrong. So put some safeguards in place. Get into some counseling or into some uh, accountability. But then more than anything, Christ has got to be your life. And you might say, I don't know what that, what that takes. Did you know what it takes to, to make football your life when you were five? No, but you learned and if I knew anything about football right now, I could tell you some stats or what have you. But I really not, am not into football. But you know, you could tell me about a lot of different people on the football field right now. And sometimes I'm, I'm blown away. I'm like, how do you know that? Like, how do you know that guy's name and what his stats are? Or you could tell me a lot, of, a lot, a lot about the things that are on Etsy. And you could say, you know, there, there's, this is beautiful. That's all that I know about women is, is, uh, is, uh, is Etsy. Um, it's very hard on my marriage, I'll tell you that. But uh, <laughs> this is supposed to be a serious time. Everybody gets serious right now. You, you didn't learn those things overnight. You, you didn't just come to a conclusion that football is, is awesome or that you love this particular aspect of life or that you love this particular actress or actor. You, you didn't arrive at that just overnight. But there, there's a studying that happens in your mind. You, you, know what you, you know what you're looking for when you're into pornography. And you can order the woman or the man that you want. And Jesus is saying this. He wants to be your life. He wants to be your life. And so what it's going to take is this, is that today is the first day of making Jesus your life and just saying, I need to know everything about Jesus. Jesus wants you to take a look at his cross from every angle. To say, while he's walking down that road and he's carrying his cross, He's looking at you. And every punch that he feels, and each time uh, he, he's on the verge of unconsciousness, and he's bleeding out, he's, he's looking at you, and, he, and he's, he desires you, and he loves you. And why would you settle for just an image why would you settle for just a relationship? Why would you settle for dumb conversations? Why would you allow that into your life through repeated use when Jesus is your life? You've got to make Jesus your life. So we're going to go to the communion table in just a second. And some of you need to bring to remembrance right now that sin in fact, all of us need to bring to remembrance everything that we've been involved with. 
and we need to go to the Lord's table. We need to partake of the, the bread and the wine. And what you need to be thinking in your mind is this, is that Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. I want you to proclaim my death, but what you're doing in those moments is you're saying, as you partake, he, his body was broken for me. His blood was shed for me. And he did it knowing that I was gonna be here today needing forgiveness. We're gonna partake of the Lord's table here in just a moment. It's on either side. It's in the back. I wanna invite the band forward. Would you bow your heads with me? And I just, I just wanna ask you to take a moment and just think through what's gone on in your life. What areas is Jesus pointing out to you that impurity needs to be washed away? What areas of your life need to be uprooted? Some of you have a deep struggle with porn. Some of you have a, just a struggle. And Jesus is calling to you this morning. And so you need to tell someone. You've got to make up your mind right now that you're going to tell someone. Someone who loves Jesus is going to hold you accountable. And then you need to walk in Christian community. You have to do it. Don't do this on your own. You won't be able to do it. It won't happen. Walk in faith and repentance. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for all of us here. Lord, our culture is so saturated with this that it's just, it's everywhere. And so God, we need your, your grace and your forgiveness. Lord, we want to be men and women who walk uprightly, not because we get to look down on other people at all, but because we get to look up to you. We get to see us as we truly are, which is damaged, sinful, deserving your wrath, but you are our source of life. Lord, may we not believe the lies that our source of life is found in pictures. May we not believe the lies that our source of life is found in unwholesome conversation, in pure thoughts, in pure desires, the greediness to have more. Lord, may we believe the truth that you're the only source of life that there is. Lord, may our world see and know that you're it. Lord, we pray for our city that, Lord, that you're, you're as your Holy Spirit inhabits our, our lives, we know that you're there if we know you. God, I pray that we become more and more sanctified more and more holy, Lord, that we would become people who are more and more like you, except understanding that we'll never be perfect until we see you face to face in glory. And so we look forward to that, but we're committed to growing in you. So Lord, we, we ask you for this. We pray that you would do a work on our hearts. Lord, I pray that you transform our church, Lord, that tr truth would be exposed. 
And Lord, that we would see you as being our only hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen.